Amen. Well, last week, uh, I shared some of my bittersweet feelings as I neared graduation of high school. Probably very similar feelings to many of us as we were approaching uh, graduation. And today, I I have another short story about my time in high school that some of you guys may be able to relate with as well. Uh, During my junior year of high school, I took AP Lang um, and... In all seriousness, uh, my teacher's name was Mr. Dick, D-I-K. You can imagine uh, the jokes that uh, the students came up with. That's got to be like one of the worst last names possible as a high school uh, teacher. Uh, But during the school year, uh, Mr. Dick assigned us a very big project that he gave us multiple weeks to work on uh, in class. It was probably, I'm trying to remember as best I can, but it was probably like three straight weeks where pretty much all we did at the beginning to the end of each class was just work on uh, this project that he assigned us. I don't even remember what the assignment was all about. Uh, I I do know uh, that the assignment was due on November 21st. And so probably about like the whole month of November, we we had time in class to work on this big project that we were supposed to complete. Um, And me, uh, not being the brightest tool in the shed, uh, did not utilize the time in class very well. Uh, In fact, I I displayed a horrible utilization of my time that I had in class. Um, And so project was due on November 21st, and then came along November 20th. And so on November 20th, with most of the, this big project yet to complete for myself, uh, I got home from school and started to work on this project, knowing that it was going to take me the rest of the day and, and take me well into the night to finish uh, this doggone project that I, I was foolish enough not to work on much uh, the, the previous three weeks in class. Well, I find out that that evening, uh, my family is going to see The Hunger Games Catching Fire, uh, the sequel to Hunger Games, and it was on opening night, and uh, we we don't really, uh, we've hardly gone to any movies opening night. Uh, The only movie that we went to see on opening night on a school night. Um, and no way in the world was I not going to, to go to this opening night uh, with my family. My mom knew I had a project due the following day, but I don't think, I'm trying to remember, I don't think she really knew how much of this uh, big project I had yet to complete, because otherwise, knowing her, no way in the world she would let me do that. Uh, but we got home pretty late after uh, going to see this movie on uh, movie on opening night. That's how I know of the dates. I was able to look back, and it came out November 20th, 2013. 13, and my project was due the very next day, November uh, 21st. Um, and so we got home pretty late uh, that night after watching the movie. I then proceeded uh, to stay up until about four in the morning, uh, finishing up my school project, uh, having to wake up at six o'clock in the morning uh, for school the next day. Uh, and so I was uh, absolutely exhausted as I plowed through the majority of this large uh, assignment in one day. Has anybody else been there? Uh, You have a big project due, and and you are up like all night the night before trying to finish this project. Uh, It was really uh, the only time uh, throughout my four years in high school where I had to stay up at an absolutely ridiculous hour in the morning to finish up an assignment. Uh, But I was reminded of this incident in my life and my foolish uh, ways as a a high school student. 
when I started to think about how long it might have taken the Apostle Paul to write the letter of Romans. Did he cram it all in one night uh, like I did with with this huge uh, English project that I had, or did it take uh, longer for him to write this letter? As we're continuing our series on the book of Romans today, and we are in week 24 of 25. So we've been going just shy of a year going through this book of Romans, uh, dissecting verse by verse the the 16th chapter letter that Paul wrote to uh, the church at Rome. And it makes me wonder, with us spending 25 weeks talking about this letter, how long did it actually take the Apostle Paul uh, to write this letter? Uh, Or rather, uh, Tertius, uh, or Tertius, uh, who wrote it for Paul. As Paul probably verbally dictated uh, what to write as it was written from Paul's perspective, uh, but we'll find out next week that it wasn't actually Paul who actually put pen to paper um, or pen to manuscript or scroll uh, back in the day. Uh, Some believe that Paul had issues with his eyesight after a while. Uh, Some of you guys may uh, remember from 2 Corinthians 12, Paul mentions a thorn in his flesh that is causing him lots of issues. Uh, Some scholars think that might be referring to issues with his eyesight, and so it makes perfect sense for Paul to verbally dictate uh, what to write if he had issues with his eyesight. But the letter of Romans, the the 16th chapter, and and while I'm talking here, you can open up to Romans chapter 15. This letter of Romans, the 16th chapter letter, in the uh, Greek language, what it was originally uh, written in, is 7,111 words. Uh, To give you a frame of reference, uh, my notes are typically around five pages, and about five pages of my notes uh, takes me to about 2,000 words. Um, So while I doubt that uh, the Apostle Paul uh, crammed the letter of Romans into one night, like my English project in 11th grade, and like many projects uh, that you probably went through uh, during your uh, schooling days, uh, there's a good chance that we've been actually talking about Romans longer than it actually took Paul and Tertius to write it from beginning to end. But a moral of the story when when dealing with kids having a large project, parents, if your child has a really big project due the night after a popular movie comes out in theaters, let them see the movie. It's going to make for a good sermon illustration uh, one day. Uh, So let them see it. Uh, Or maybe not up to you. But today uh, we're finishing up chapter 15 and starting chapter 16, the last chapter of the book of Romans uh, this morning. And then next week, we're going to finish up just a few verses from chapter 16, and we're going to do a wrap-up of the book um, and kind of see, take a look at, at what all we have talked about, because, because there is a lot that Paul crammed into these 16 chapters, uh, the, all sorts of information about our need for salvation, God's plan of salvation for us how we live as Christians. Um, So we're just going to spend next week finishing the last few verses and then kind of doing a wrap-up of this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. As Paul, again, he wanted to go to Rome in person, as we'll see uh, in our writing today, that the passage of Scripture that we'll uh, cover. He wanted to go in Rome in person to preach the gospel message, but in the meantime, he would write a, a letter that, that uh, presented this gospel message to the church at Rome. And in these last few verses that we covered last week, Paul talked about his mission, his passion 
of spreading the gospel message to people who had not yet heard or seen uh, this gospel message uh, in action. And so his whole life, after his conversion, Paul was a very zealous Jew. His whole life was all about God. After his conversion uh, into his belief that Jesus is the Christ, his whole life after that was all about spreading the gospel message, whether it was going on multiple long trips in person uh, or writing letters like this, his whole life revolved around spreading that gospel message. Um, and, And we learned last week in the last few verses that he had a passion for sharing this gospel message with people who had not seen it and people who had not heard this gospel message. And that's where we pick up this morning in chapter 15, verse 22 of Romans. Paul writes, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. And so Paul says that that he's been wanting to to go to the city of Rome to to preach this gospel message, uh, but he had not been able to. He's been hindered from coming to them in person because he has been so busy sharing this gospel message with people who had not heard this gospel message. For he had an intense passion about this. So even though he had a desire to go to the city of Rome in person and spend time with this church, he's been hindered thus far because he's been busy sharing this message with people who have not yet heard the message of our sin and our need of salvation. This message that there is a man, Jesus of Nazareth, who who is God's son, who died for our sins. This message of a hope of a coming kingdom where everything wrong with this world will be made right, including death itself. And so this this simple gospel message Paul wanted to share with people who had not yet heard it because there is no message greater than this gospel message presented throughout the scriptures. And so Paul says in, in verse 23, but now... Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. And so Paul, he, he, he had this desire to go to Rome, but on top of this desire to go to Rome, we find out here that he has a, a desire to go to Spain. This is the only occasion in his 13 letters. Paul wrote 13 letters uh, in the New Testament. This is the only occasion where Paul mentions his desire to go to Spain. And now why in the world would Paul want to go to Spain? Uh, Paul doesn't exactly spell out why he wanted uh, to go to Spain. Uh, But if we were to infer a a couple of different reasons why Paul possibly might have wanted to go, uh, one reason would be uh, Paul was passionate about spreading this gospel message, and he wanted to spread this gospel message to the ends of the earth. And and Spain was at the end of the civilized world. It it was as far west as, as the people. Uh, were made aware of. It was the end of the civilized world. And so he would have literally been spreading this gospel message to the ends uh, of the earth if he were to go over to Spain. I think that's a pretty likely reason as to why Paul would have wanted to go over uh, to this region, Spain, so that he could go spread this gospel message to the ends of the earth. 
Another potential reason why Paul maybe wanted to go spread uh, the gospel message to Spain is that Spain was producing uh, some of the brightest minds uh, uh, during Paul's time. Uh, there are two gentlemen known by Luke and Marshall who were phenomenal poets, the, the, the best writers, the best poets of their time. Quintilian, known as uh, the greatest speech teacher of his time. Uh, and Seneca, uh, who, who's most famous of that group, he was a Stoic philosopher who actually served as the prime minister of Emperor Nero, uh, the Roman Empire during the time uh, that Paul was writing this letter. And so some of the brightest minds were coming out uh, of this uh, region of Spain. And so if you can convert higher education, that is a great battle won uh, for, for the, this advancement of the gospel message. I, we, we see that uh, play out today in our society. Uh, much of higher education does not align with uh, what we would teach uh, w uh, within a church, w within God's scripture. And we see, lo and behold, much of our society uh, does not uh, affirm to beliefs found in the scriptures or, or affirm to the teachings of Jesus as, as the higher education passes down to lower and lower and lower, and eventually it spreads to everybody. And so Paul... I possibly, uh, one reason why he maybe wanted to go to Spain is so that he could uh, influence some of, some of these brightest minds coming out of this region of Spain and just uh, imagine this great battle being won for the, for the advancement of the gospel message. Now, unfortunately, I wish we had concrete evidence, but we never find out uh, in the New Testament if Paul ever made it out to Spain or not. Uh, some of the early church fathers like Clement and Jerome assume that he did fulfill uh, this desire of his to make it out to Spain. Uh, but so tradition thinks that Paul uh, made it out, but we don't have any concrete evidence uh, founded in the scriptures of whether or not Paul actually ever made it out to Spain or not. We do know that he made it out to Rome, uh, as it talks about in other, uh, like, like in Acts, how Paul w was imprisoned as he was uh, sent to Rome. He was sent to Rome in chains. Um, and, and so Paul, he wanted to go to the city of Rome to share this gospel message. Up until this point, he wasn't able to because he was busy sharing this message with people who had not yet heard, but, but he did a great job in sharing this message with people who have heard. So he's ready to go to the city of Rome. And actually, the city of Rome is, is just point A on, on a trip that he wants to take, the end destination of Spain, uh, to, to advance this gospel message. And so Paul says, verse 25, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saint. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make uh, some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So here in, the, in this passage here, Paul is outlining his plans that he has of his upcoming uh, travel. So we learn that uh, first, Paul, he's been busy sharing this gospel message with people who have not yet heard it, but he has a desire to go to the Rome. And actually, uh, Rome is just on the way. He, he wants to go to Spain as well. But actually before that, before he goes to Rome and before he goes to Spain, he, he wants to go to Jerusalem. He has current plans to go to Jerusalem. Paul is writing this letter uh, in the city of Corinth. That's like uh, modern-day Greece. And so Paul is traveling east to uh, Jerusalem. And then uh, afterward, he, he has plans to travel west uh, to uh, Rome and then Spain as well. So this is a busy guy. Uh, again, his whole life revolved around spreading this gospel message. 
And now why did Paul want to go to Jerusalem? Well, unlike uh, Spain uh, and knowing why Paul wanted to go to Spain, we don't have, uh, he doesn't provide his reasoning. He provides his reasoning for why he wants to go to Jerusalem. Because apparently there, there were churches uh, in, in these provinces, uh, provinces of Macedonia and Achaia who provided a contribution for the poor over in Jerusalem. Macedonia and Achaia, they, they were Roman provinces uh, located in modern-day Greece. And these provinces included uh, the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Corinth. Those are five of his letters that he writes, uh, First and Th- Second Thessalonians, uh, First and Second Corinthians, and uh, uh, or not First and Second Corinthians. Uh, it was First and Second uh, Thessalonians, First and Second uh, Corinthians, and then uh, Philippians as well. Um, so it's cool to see the the other churches that Paul wrote letters to supporting the work of the church in Jerusalem. And this appeared to have been done under the lead of Paul. As in Galatians 2, uh, another letter of Paul, we see the pillars of the church in Jerusalem, which were Peter, James, and John, discussed with Paul what his purpose should be. And it was decided that Paul would be a minister to the Gentiles. Again, Gentiles is essentially someone who is not Jewish. So so Paul, a Jew himself, his mission, his ministry was to go spread this gospel message to people who weren't Jews themselves. And and we see that he had a great passion for this and his whole life revolved around it. However, they said that you were to remember the poor in Jerusalem. In Galatians 2.10, when when, uh, this uh, event is recorded, uh, Paul says he was eager to do so. He was eager to remember the poor in Jerusalem while he had a passion, a mission to spread this gospel message to the Gentiles. And so now we we see uh, these churches in in, uh, the land of the Gentiles providing financially support for the church in Jerusalem. As Paul said in verse 27, that they owed it to the Jews. They owed it to the Jews, as it was through the Jews that the Gentiles were brought into into the grace of God. Whereas if we uh, remember from the Old Testament, God established these many wonderful covenants with his chosen people, the Israelites, the the Jews. And it's through the Jews, it's through uh, Jesus, who was a Jew himself, that these covenants were opened up to all of mankind. All we need now is faith in Christ Jesus. And we took a look last week how scattered throughout the Old Testament, we see assurances that the Gentiles would be included in God's plan of salvation all along. And so this wasn't a new idea of the Gentiles being brought into this plan of salvation, but we actually see the act of it being accomplished, where Jesus was able to open up this offer of salvation to all of mankind. All we need to do is put our faith in, in God and his son, Christ Jesus. And so the, the Gentiles owed this to the Jews. It was through the Jews that they were invited into God's plan of salvation. And so the, the, these churches in this Gentile land, they financially supported another church over in Jerusalem. And this practice of financially supporting other groups of Christians and churches is a great reminder for, for uh, the, the people in Paul's day and a great reminder for us today as well that we are part of something bigger than just our local congregation. When the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Corinth supported the Christians in Jerusalem, 
They would have been reminded that they were part of something much bigger than just themselves. They are part of the worldwide church that was a part of God and Christ's plan to expand God's kingdom. The, the worldwide church serves as an integral instrument to spreading the gospel message to the ends of the earth. And so this worldwide system of churches has lasted for nearly 2,000 years. And we at North Hills today in the 21st century, we are a part of something much, much bigger than what was established here uh, in 1972. No, this isn't just 50 years of history at North Hills. This is thousands of years of history that we are part of. There's a great heritage. There's a, there's a great tradition of these churches serving as God's instrument here on earth. And that's why it's important for us to financially support other Christians and other groups uh, of churches. And, and we do that here at North Hills. Uh, we actually take a percentage uh, of the money that we take from our offering, and we give it uh, a portion of that to the Northeast Conference. Northeast Conference is a group of churches in Ohio and Canada. Uh, we give a portion of that to the Church of God General Conference, uh, the group of churches uh, that we are affiliated with all over uh, Canada and uh, the United States as well. And then I love... Uh, each year, uh, the month of March, where we uh, put special attention on LHI, Lord's Harvest International, our conference's uh, missions branch, where we deal with uh, Christians, we deal with churches in Mozambique, uh, Malawi, Uganda, Kenya, Haiti, Mexico, Peru, Russia, Pakistan, and more. As we have to understand that we are part of something much, much bigger than what just takes place within these four walls. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. We're, we're part of a 2,000-year tradition. 2,000 years God has been using his church to expand his kingdom here on earth. And we are just one part uh, of this overarching church, this worldwide church. And we need to remember that. It's not uh, just about how many uh, butts we can fill here uh, in our sanctuary. It's about how can we advance God's kingdom here on earth. And so Paul continues after talking about his plans of going to first to Jerusalem. He says in, in verse 28, when therefore I've completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. As so before uh, Paul makes it to Rome, he, he asked the church in Rome to pray for him. Pray for him as he is preparing to head to the church in Jerusalem. And he asked that they uh, pray that he may be accepted among uh, the, the, the Judean uh, region, among the, the saints in Jerusalem. As this was still a very new concept uh, during the life of Paul, uh, of the Gentiles being openly invited into, into this faith, into God's plan of salvation. And so Paul being a minister to the Gentiles, 
potentially run into issues with some of the Jewish Christians who, who, who didn't want that, who were more exclusive, who didn't want to open up the, this, this plan of salvation to all of mankind. And, and there were issues. They, they did run into those issues of accepting these Gentiles into this faith. And so Paul, I love it, Paul asked for their prayers. Paul understood the power of prayer. And he wanted this church at Rome to be unified in praying for him and praying for him in his upcoming trip to Jerusalem is that he can be refreshed uh, in his company and, and not be drained and discouraged in his trip to Jerusalem as he is bringing uh, this big collection of money to the, the, this church in Jerusalem. And so uh, Paul, wanting their prayers, and, and I respect him for, for openly asking this church for his prayers as he is preparing to go to this church at Jerusalem, where, where he foresees potentially some issues taking place because of his ministry to the Gentiles. And so then we, we uh, flip a page here and we turn it into chapter 16. Chapter 16, the last chapter of the book of Romans. And in this chapter here, Paul lists a bunch of people by name that he wants to personally greet. Uh, these are people that he would have at least heard of by the hearing of the ear. I get the impression that Paul had not personally met a handful of these people as Paul ha has never made it out to Rome at this point in time. It's possible he met everybody, but I get the impression that, that he hadn't quite yet uh, met all of these people that he mentions. And most of these people that, that he mentions here in this list, most of them are not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. We don't really know much at all about most of these people. And so we're going to read this full list, the, the, this list of people that Paul wants to personally greet as this letter finds its way to the church at Rome. And so it's 16 verses a large chunk here where essentially Paul is lifting name after name after name of people that he wants to personally greet as this letter arrives into the city of Rome. And so Paul writes in verse, uh, or chapter 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For he, she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to, to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronokais uh, and Juniah, my kinsmen and, and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my uh, kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphaena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has uh, worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asencritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with the holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. 
This is uh, a passage uh, that, uh, the type of passage that people do not want to be called on in Sunday school, uh, reading all of those names. Uh, I, I remember uh, while at the Bible college, uh, Professor uh, Bob says, when you're dealing with, with names that you don't know how to pronounce, say it with confidence, and people will believe you that, that you're right. Uh, and so I try to say it with confidence. Uh, don't know if they're right, but say with confidence and you guys will believe that, hey, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so uh, William Barclay uh, in his commentary on the letter of Romans uh, says about uh, this passage here, he says, of the 24, uh, so Paul lists 24 uh, different uh, people or 24 different families or households, of the 24, six are wo women. Uh, that is worth remembering for Paul is often accused of belittling the status of women in the church. If we really want to see Paul's attitude, it is a passage like this that we should read where his appreciation of the work that women were doing in the church shines through his words. And so a quarter of these people uh, that Paul mentions here in this uh, long list uh, of people I want to personally greet, uh, they were women and the work that they were doing for the advancement of God's kingdom here on earth, the, the advancement of spreading this gospel message. And a lot of times, uh, Paul will get flack uh, through some of his other writings, uh, maybe uh, neglecting uh, the ladies of the faith, these strong ladies in the faith. But here, Paul acknowledging the great work that these ladies, not, not just uh, the guys, but the great work that these ladies have done within the faith as well. And, and so the, these ladies in, in this first century here, they did not have the same rights that, that our ladies here this morning have. Uh, that, that's just the unfortunate truth of the society that they were living in, uh, just about every society of that time. But even though they didn't have the same sort of rights, they were still able to be great missionaries, great ministers for the advancement of this gospel message. And one of these ladies uh, that, that Paul mentions here is Prissa, or, or, or uh, some other spots uh, call her Priscilla. Um, and so I'm just going to uh, mention just a few here of these people uh, that Paul mentions here. First two, Priscilla and Aquila. Paul says that they were fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Uh, we know uh, more about Priscilla and Aquila probably than anybody else uh, in this list, uh, as they are talked about uh, in, in other spots uh, of Scripture as well. We know that Priscilla and Aquila, they moved around a decent bit. We know they uh, lived in Rome, but in the year 52 AD, uh, which was a bit after the time that Paul wrote this, uh, under the Roman Emperor Claudius, uh, they were banished from the city of Rome as they were Jews. And so then they settled in Corinth. They then went to Ephesus, and then they went back to Rome. And then finally, uh, they, they went to Ephesus again. But the one thing about Priscilla and Aquila, wherever they found themselves, they, they were traveling all over the place. Wherever they found themselves, their home was a center of Christian fellowship and service. As Paul says in verse 3, he starts talking about Priscilla and Aquila. And then in verse 5, he says, greet also the church and their house. And so the house of Priscilla and Aquila, it served as a church. Wherever they went, whether it was in Rome and Corinth and Ephesus or back in Rome or back in Ephesus, their home served as a church. It was a center of Christian fellowship, a Christian service and Christian worship. And that should be the case today as well. Every 
home should be a church. As a church is a body of believers, a place where Jesus dwells. And we can learn from their example, learn from the example of Priscilla and Aquila. No matter where, where they went, their house served as a church. You know, sometimes uh, we, we live in a very individualistic uh, society, and, and we think of our home shutting the door and shutting off access to the outside world. And there's some benefits to that. In our house, that should be one of the functions of our homes, that, that we cut off access to these negative influences in the world. We, we want to cut off this access from our children, from our spouses, and from ourselves as well. But I think too often in our individualistic society, we focus on shutting the world outside of our home. Equally true, our homes should be an open door to the church as well. Your home can serve as one of the greatest ministry tools that you have at your disposal. One of your greatest ministry tools. I encourage you, invite your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ into your home. Enjoy Christian fellowship with the other members of North Hills, members of other churches, mem members of the church, engage in Christian fellowship within your homes. Not only engage in Christian fellowship, but engage in evangelism through your homes as well. I strongly, strongly encourage you guys to intentionally invite non-Christians to your home to influence them and hopefully share the gospel message with them. For many of us, our homes is one of the biggest resources that we have, and we should be using all of our resources to expand God's coming kingdom. All of our resources should be used as tools and instruments for ministry. And so I love Priscilla and I love Aquila and the fact that, that Paul acknowledged the church in their house. Their home served as a church. Does your home serve as a church? Think about that. Maybe there, there are some great things about your home that you're doing to fulfill the role of the church. And if so, give yourself a pat on the back. Maybe as you reflect on the duties and the responsibility of the church coming into your home, maybe you realize things that you can better utilize your home as a tool for ministry. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they, they used their home for the church. They used it as a ministry tool. You jump down uh, to, to verses 10 and 11. Uh, Paul mentions the household of Aristobulus and the family of Narcissus. These are two guys uh, that aren't mentioned uh, elsewhere uh, in, in the scriptures, at least that I'm aware of. Uh, there was, uh, in the, during the time of Paul, they're uh, looking at uh, external evidence, uh, sources, extra, extra biblical sources, sources outside of the Bible. Uh, we know that there was an Aristobulus who was the grandson of King Herod. Some of you guys might uh, remember King Herod uh, and his role in uh, the story of Jesus. 
And there's good reason to think that uh, this is the Aristobulus uh, that Paul mentions. As he says in verse 10, verse 10, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. And, and I think there, there's good reason to think that this is the Aristobulus uh, that Paul mentions, as right after this, he says in verse 11, greet my kinsman uh, Herodian. And so he, he's connecting this man, uh, his family, Aristobulus, uh, with, this, uh, with the kinsman Herodian. And so Aristobulus, uh, if this is truly the Aristobulus that, that Paul is referring to, uh, the grandson of King Herod, Aristobulus uh, was a close friend of Emperor Claudius, who was the emperor during uh, Paul's uh, letter uh, to the city of Rome, the, the, the letter of Romans. And when Aristobulus died, his servants and slaves, which would be included in his household, they became property of the emperor. And so if this is the, the correct Aristobulus, apparently the servants of the emperor were a part of this Christian family. That's pretty awesome. And right after uh, Paul mentions Aristobulus, he also uh, mentions uh, the family of Narcissus in verse 11. Those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Uh, the most well-known Narcissus uh, of Paul's time was a secretary to Emperor Claudius. And eventually all of his servants and slaves were passed down to Emperor Nero as well. I said earlier, Emperor Claudius was emperor when Paul wrote that. That's in, that is misspoke. Emperor Nero was emperor during uh, the letter of Romans. Uh, but if this uh, Aristobulus and Narcissus that Paul is talking about, that means Christianity ha has reached uh, the slaves and the servants of the highest circles of the empire. That, that's pretty cool to think about. This is becoming a widespread movement where even the people who are serving the emperor are getting involved in, in, in this new radical Christian movement that, that revolved around Christ Jesus. That, that, that is pretty awesome. God is doing great things within this church of Rome. And then uh, Paul says, uh, verse 16, greet one another with the holy kisses. All the churches of Christ greet you. Uh, a standard uh, of uh, their society and culture, um, greeting one another uh, with a holy kiss. Uh, you'll still see uh, once in a while uh, people uh, greet each other with a kiss uh, of the cheek. I haven't seen it yet here uh, at North Hills. Uh, but Paul said, greet one another with the holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And so in this passage, starting in chapter 15, verse 22, all the way through verse 16 of chapter 16, uh, there's three things that, that I want us all to uh, take away from this. Number one, I want us all to continue to see Paul's passion for the, the advancement of the gospel message. When Paul wrote the, this letter of Romans, he was in the midst uh, of the end of his third missionary journey. The, these missionary journeys, again, if, if you have your Bibles with you, you can probably see, uh, you probably have maps of Paul's missionary journeys in the back of your Bible. And, and you'll see he, he traveled wide uh, chunks of land to spread this gospel message. And while he was nearing the end of his third missionary journey, Paul had plans to spread this gospel message even further. What do our plans look like? Our plans revolve around uh, what are we going to eat uh, once this uh, pastor shuts his mouth? Uh, what are we uh, going to do uh, later on this week? What are we going to do about work? Um, are our plans revolving around 
the things of this world? Or are our plans revolving around the advancement of the gospel message? And for Paul, due to his passion for God, his passion for Christ, his passion for the gospel, his plans revolved around the gospel message. And so do your plans revolve around the gospel message? Number two, I want us all to to realize that we are part of something bigger than just us here at North Hills. We are part of a Christian movement, an establishment of of churches that have been established for nearly 2,000 years now. What a privilege and honor and blessing it is that we are a part of that heritage. We are a part of this tradition that Christ's disciples were able to, to establish. Peter and the Apostle Paul establishing these different churches. We are part of that movement. It is so much bigger than what happens just here within these four walls of North Hills. And we've got to understand that. We, we are partners in ministry with the churches around us. Partners of the churches around us where they can send us a piano player. We can send them a speaker. Uh, we, we, we are partners in this thing together. We, we are all a part of something much, much bigger than ourselves. And finally, it's my hope and it's my prayer that uh, we all use our homes as a ministry tool. God has blessed us uh, with different resources. And for many of us, uh, God has blessed us with a home. And if that holds true for you, please, please, please use your home as a tool for ministry. Invite fellow members of your church to your home. Eat dinner together. Invite members of the worldwide church to your home. Invite people who have never stepped foot in a church building as well. Invite them in to the love that God has infected your family with. Let them see firsthand what that looks like. Your home can serve as a wonderful, wonderful ministry tool, just like Priscilla and Aquila did with their home when they traveled all over the place. And so how are you using your home as a ministry tool to spread this gospel message, to grow closer to God, and to expand his coming kingdom. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, I thank you for the words of Paul. Father, I pray that our lives, our hearts can be touched by his words, that we can mirror his passion for your word. Father, I just pray that you bless the work in and through North Hills. I pray that you bless the work in and through the Church of God General Conference. I pray that you bless the work in and through the worldwide church. Father, I pray that we together, we can give you glory, we can give you honor, and we can praise your great name. And so we love you. We cannot thank you enough. It's in Jesus' precious and holy and powerful name 
And all of God's church said, amen.